everyone. Welcome to the Charvak Podcast. This is your host Kushal Mehra. All right, today's podcast is titled "The Walking Monk." Now, you might be wondering, what is the Walking Monk? Well, you have it on the screen, and I have with me Swami Bhakti Marg Swami. Swami Ji, Namaste. Thanks for coming on the podcast. Namaste, Hare Krishna. All right, Swami Ji, this is your first time on the Charvak Podcast, so. I'll request you to do this. Uh, maybe you can tell us a little bit about your own life journey because uh, it is very important to know where you come from and where your life journey started. So maybe we can start over there. Sure. Well, um, I was born in Canada, southwestern Ontario, quite close to the famous Uncle Tom's Cabin. For historians, that's a significant place. My parents came to Canada after the Second World War from the Netherlands, Holland, and uh, I was born and into a Roman Catholic tradition. And uh, I used to go to school every day. That's where I started my walks. Uh, one long, one mile journey along the Thames River because we have a Thames River in southwestern Ontario, and uh, to a one room red brick schoolhouse and with one teacher in eight grades it was pretty primitive you can say <laughs> in a sense and uh so i grew up through the 50s 60s uh in farmland on a farm and um i oftentimes had dreams and passions to wonder what it's like to be in a big city in an urban setting and uh i when i entered my high school years i was quite curious about really what is going on out there and uh, i was just on a search really and so i took a fine arts course in northern ontario i was doing quite well but i met some monks um you know some krishna monks who were of a canadian background and um they were into something that the beatles were into and they were our big heroes at that time um whatever the beatles did how long was their hair you would imitate we, if they they wore narrow collared shirts we would wear them uh you know light up incense to cover up your marijuana whatever <laughs> and uh so it was during that time that i i met uh krishna monks and i took interest in their literature and their practice chanting uh mantras and so on and um so then one thing led to another and i decided to visit a temple in canada montreal and see what that check it out see what it's all about i felt there was something very genuine about their lifestyle and how they were carrying on and i was very attracted to it so after a few months i decided synchronistically when i was doing a long walk and no one was picking up this you know um like vulnerable uh, college student that was trying to hitchhike back so on a nine mile walk i deliberated very deeply on what i would do with my life and i had been chanting mantras and reading and making a change in my diet became a vegetarian and i thought this is it i think uh some divine power from above is telling me to take that step and move into the ashram in toronto and uh and that was it once i got in i never left you could say 
and that was in 1973. So I've been a monk, uh, brahmachari first since 1973, and I took formal initiation as a Swami in 84. And so I, at one point I decided I'd go for a long walk. So I guess that would be part two of my journey. <laughs> So, so maybe just one question about part one. So, what was that tipping point in your in your life where you moved towards uh, Sri Krishna, and what what was that one particular thing that attracted you? Well, um, the idea about the universe on a large scale was something I was curious about, and I just found that uh, reading the Bhagavad Gita. The ancient teachings of Krishna seemed to tell it all. And, uh, you know, just dwelling on wondrous and splendorous things, like from the chap chapter 11 from the Gita, I thought, okay, this is it. And being raised Catholic, God is always a person. Uh, but uh, I didn't know what kind of person he was. In the Sistine Chapel of the, at the Vatican, God is portrayed as an muscular but older guy with a nice curly white hair and so that was a sort of a an image imposed but i wanted i wanted more details so i i felt that the gita was able to do that and a lot of questions about life like say for instance uh we wonder why sometimes people are born into poverty and some people are born with a silver spoon in, in their mouth so to speak so uh, I felt that, okay, uh, because karma, the, the law of uh, action and subsequent reaction seemed to answer that question. Um, so it was a philosophical thing. And, you know, just I, I think it was a collective uh, experience, uh, having a better diet now. I was raised on the farm, and we would eat animals that were, you know, <laughs> that we, they were our pets before. And when I come to the dinner table, I thought there's something not right here, apart from the bad taste, you know. So when someone suggested, and the monks were saying, why don't you go on a vegetarian diet? Because uh, people in the great land of India have been at it for thousands of years. And and so I just got, it's the, the monks that really seem to care for me. And those are the people I want to be with. And that was it. And um, I, I, I've enjoyed a life of, of, in devotion in the Bhakti Yoga lane ever since. So, so, so Swamiji, now I'm going to get into the next, next phase, which is phase two. How did you come up with the idea of walking? And walking for long distances. Okay. Yes, that's right. Uh, well, uh, so in 1995, um, I was projecting a little ahead what I could do in a special way. It was going to be our guru's 100th year centenary. So I thought I must offer a special gift and uh, to him. And uh, I also felt it was... Um, a special time because uh, it, not only that it was going to be his birthday celebration, but I had to do something really special. Being a patriotic monk, 
I decided that I would actually go and uh, visit uh, my, my country and go from coast to coast, uh, from the West Coast to East Coast and experiencing something really special and new and get close to the landscapes, uh, to, to, to the people. And I felt I was a little bit cloistered. I, I miss, was missing a lot of things in life. Uh, I miss the whole Michael Jackson moonwalk and the disco music era. <laughs> Some people said I wasn't missing anything. <laughs> but uh, I just thought I wanted to be out in the world. And people were dressed in black and, and uh, the whole uh, Gothic experience. So I just wanted to be out and uh, connect and uh, with nature, with the elements. And so in 1996, you know, I've been contemplating on these things. In 96, I decided to do the walk uh, starting in April the 12th and uh, from uh, Vancouver Island and uh, deal with whatever comes of its own accord. You know, the, the difficulties, the challenges that lay ahead. I was, I was ready for it because as a monk, this is the kind of thing you're, you're up for. Uh, taking in some tapasya or austerity, which means to voluntarily accept some inconvenience for the sake of building character and and so on and so forth. So uh, I made my decision, and uh, that was it. Um, touching the Pacific Ocean, and uh, I knew I had to go from that ocean to the Atlantic, and that took you know seven and a half months on my first trek across the country. And it was very rewarding. I got hooked, you can say, become an addict towards walking long distances. And at, uh, at a pace of about five kilometers an hour, uh, going 42 kilometers a day average, which is, happens to be a marathon length. And, uh, and it was great um, all the way along. Um, other reasons... Uh, you know, living in the temple, you get a lot of rich food. So I wanted to have, go a little more simple and a little more austere. And that was another reason. And uh, sometimes there were gossipy sessions going on in, in the community. <laughs> and I thought, let me just get out and experience the real world of, uh, you know, getting bitten by mosquitoes and black flies. And maybe that was a little better than, than the other. <laughs> You know, when you're dealing with people, uh, human beings are an extraordinary species and race. So sometimes you just got to get out of there. And we had, uh, you know, I was kind of like raised devotionally in a very vibrant community. And sometimes things do go a little strange and sour so, sometimes. So I thought, let me go and do something positive and uh, meet the people and just get out there and learn detachment from the world. First of all, I'm glad to hear that even uh, Swamiji, uh, even you have a problem with gossip. <laughs> oh, yes. yes. <laughs> so, yeah. so, so I, I'm not alone. Uh, so, but but uh, th this is fascinating. So I'll just share my, where I come from. Obviously, I don't walk 42 kilometers every day. But yes, I do make it a point of walking at least 11 to 12 kilometers. This is a part of my daily life and daily workout routine. So 
I have this thing. I, I try to clock a speed of around six kilometers. I'll tell you why I fell in love when I found out about you is because I love walking myself. I walk a lot. I walk a lot. Like even if I here in Canada, there is a Tim Hortons near my house where I'm staying and I could easily drive there, but I purposely walk there. So because it's like a 15 to 20 minute walk for me, I love walking. So I, I go there walking, I come back walking and then, then I do my routine walk, which is like I try to... So my average target on a day is five times a week i walk 12 to 14 kilometers but your your case is completely different you did it out of devotion now now why did you think that walking in itself per se would send a message well you're very exposed when you're out there and i'm in my saffron clothes so you stick out like a sore thumb and especially in the landscape, you know, out in the countryside. Like, here's just to give you an idea what it means to walk across the country. If, uh, like, I went over 200 uh, days of, of trekking, and out of that 200 days, maybe 10 days, I found myself in urban areas, right? So the rest is countryside, wilderness, you know, bears, uh, rocks, lakes, uh, trees, whatnot. Um, and so you do really stand out. And that just makes for a perfect situation for individuals, motorists in particular, to pull over and find out what's going on. So, uh, like on an average day, people pull over. I get three or four offers like, that. would you like a ride? And, you know, people are lonely. That's really what I came to uh, understand. Even truckers, they'll pull over their whole operation through the mountains, just wanting to be with somebody and just connecting and, and conversing. And so uh, they'll pull over. And of course, I have to offer the unkind words that I'm, I have to walk. I'm uh, right to the other end of the country, St. John's, Newfoundland. And so I can't uh, take any rides. I'm sorry about that. That's my commitment, my conviction. And so it would uh, that would be your know, regular experience. And, you know, people would see me from a distance and I'd look like a traffic cone. And then they'd say, oh, this is a traffic cone that moves. And they get a little closer and closer. They say, hey, this is a human being. And it's a monk of all things. You know, it's rare to see people on the road walking. In fact, I get quite excited if I'm driving anywhere to, say, Ottawa or some other city in the country on a mission. And uh, say, hey, somebody's walking. I get quite excited. And especially if it's a bear <laughs> or something like that. Yeah, so it's um, it's a fantastic experience. And uh, that's it's very organic, the way of connecting with people. And, of course, through media um, um, channels, uh, a lot of people did get to know. Uh, and so they'll pull over and say, I think it's great what you're doing. Uh, I want to shake your hands give me your autograph, you're like a big celeb suddenly, or can I give you a big hug? All those kind of really nice human things that are not to do with gossip. <laughs> are, that was the wonderful changeover. And uh, yeah, that would be a, an average experience. And of course, you, uh, Kushal, you do meet with uh, red deck, redneck dynamics. People are not so favorable, who don't have a comprehension and don't have a reference point to what is a monk. Some people haven't seen Kung Fu movies with 
monks doing martial arts uh, moves. And so, uh, you know, and, and, but it, it's getting better. It's getting better. And, uh, but I, I would just say in, on the average, uh, people have been very kind and really generous. And apart from connecting with, with nature itself and having like nature as an IMAX screen almost all around you, uh, you do make friends along the way. Uh, people of all different backgrounds, uh, miners, uh, factory workers, corporate people, um, just um, people just on the way to a fishing or on the way to a, a golfing match or something. So, would, hey, would you like to join us? Because you look pretty interesting. Would you like to go for a round of golf? And I said, well, I'm not really, not really set up for that. Never done it before. I can do more interesting things that like walking instead of trying to push a ball in through a hole. <laughs> that, that, but, but when, so this is the thing. So how do you chart your roots is what I'm interested in. Like how, do, how, how does the walking monk decide where the walking monk is going to walk? Yeah, well, that's very interesting because I did four walks across Canada. And just for the record, I did the U.S. as well. And a few other countries like Ireland, Israel, Guyana, Trinidad, the Fiji Islands, and Mauritius. So in Canada, my first walk, I decided, well, let's just go on the Trans-Canada Highway. That was kind of the obvious way to go. It's uh, the most direct. And, um, so that's how I chose. And um, when I came to um, North Bay, uh, which is, you know, a few hours north of Toronto, I decided, well, I'll take a right turn and I'll go down to where my roots lie, where, uh, you know, I... Uh, Grew, uh, I was born and grew up and go down memory lane and uh, see if I can meet some teachers and thank them. Or she can, with teachers, you can either praise them or curse them. <laughs> but in my case, I like them. And um, so it was like that. And uh, in the summertime, in the middle of the country, you're going to hit lake country. So it's uh, natural to just hit those... Uh, great bodies of water and go for that cooling effect, refreshing experience. But walking and swimming just go hand in hand. And uh, so choosing out the route was easy after going on the Trans-Canada one way and then the second time around go completely in the opposite direction. I decided the third time I'll take a northern route, the Yellowhead Highway, and then the Crow's Nest Pass or, you know, whatever's down in the western part of the country. So, um, you know, that's the fun part of it. And we started off, Kushal, with uh, with maps, you know, the good old-fashioned. You fold it out and it spreads right across from, well, the passenger seat to the, to the driver's seat, you know, from window to window pretty much, all folded up and then the big job. But I, those were the great days. And another thing is that... Um, uh, we didn't have cell phones when I first started walking. So there were occasions where I did get lost and you have to move more with instinct and uh, go a lot with a lot more with uh, protective mantras and prayers. Hey, am I going to find my support guy? <laughs> so my, I would always walk with the support person, uh, meaning that he would drop me off from his vehicle from the place from where I left off the day before. And then he'll check on me once in a while to see if I'm still alive, basically. <laughs> yeah, so that was fun. 
Yeah, so 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 it's it, it's basically uh, uh, so your the route you're charting is basically the route a vehicle would take, like pretty much parallel to what a vehicle is taking, or or the walking route is slightly different from the vehicular route. Yeah, it would be both. It'll be a bit of both. Like I'd stick to the Trans Canada Highway, and I have my misgivings about walking along highways because uh, because of the what I call the terrible tilt. The shoulder of the road, which is where you walk, it has an angle that you have to walk on it because it does real challenges on your skeleton, you know. And so I actually prefer trails. And so I would do that with my support guy and we'd make an arrangement. Okay, I'm on this trail. You won't be able to see me, but it's uh, it's much better. You got, you're closer to nature and you don't have to contend with this traffic, you know, woozing by. And uh, so... That would be it, and we just hopefully he'd be there at a, at a crossroads, and then we'd naturally have to connect to a, a busier road. Uh, and those kind of things happen in the U.S. For instance, I started off on um, that was uh, 2015 from Boston, and my intention was to go all the way to San Francisco and to take the old uh, Lincoln Road, which is the oldest highway in the world. So uh, the Lincoln Highway has actually, um, you know, it's, it, it's two lanes in some cases. So then it becomes four lanes or six lanes, like if you're in the city of Chicago. So, uh, and those uh, uh, avenues are no longer favorable for a pedestrian, right? So then uh, you just uh, hit a parallel road. Uh, like my support guy would just jump me over to set looking at our map, go parallel, and then just keep going as straight uh, as you can across. So those are the kind of things that you don't know you're going to contend with initially when you take on one of these marathon expeditions, but it's just something you learn as time goes on. Yeah. But Swamiji, like you said, you walk for, I mean, I walk 12 kilometers and I know what happens to my knees after 12 <laughs> kilometers. Yeah. So now I have to ask you these technical questions is because A, uh, the dietary bit we'll come to later. But first of all, the gear, like do you walk bare feet or do you wear shoes? If yes, what kind of shoes? What is your walking technique? Because my knees start talking to me. Right. <laughs> yeah, start... I think that's a natural question. Well, um, I, I must confess that after these marathon walks and putting on many, many kilometers, I've had a knee replacements. Um, my last one was on the right knee, and that was just earlier this, this April. And so uh, I can say I'm walking normal again, and it's just like having two new legs. And I guess that's part of my legacy, if I could use that term. And, uh, yeah, so it's good. But, you know, you do have these pains. I, um, calluses, of course, happen in the beginning, and then you just almost have to develop a new legs, a new body. That's what it goes through. On about day number five it, uh, of my first walk, I realized this is different. It's not exactly what I anticipated it would be, but uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a bit of a workout and uh, maybe even a little bit damaging. The cartilage wears out on your knees. And yeah, you do have to hear your body. Your body's like your guru. It's telling you things, you know, what to do, what's too much, what's not enough, or, you know, with the, and the pacing, you know, just uh, you really have to become 
very tuned in uh, to the physical self as well as connecting to your spiritual self, really, because walking is so conducive to development. I, I did a little bit of background look at uh, people who have done marathon walks and runs, and most anybody who comes out of this on super long marathons, they all come out believing in something they didn't before, and that is the great universe and becoming very humbled by it and uh, what the weather does to you. And, um, you know, it beats down on your ego. And I think all of us can use a little bit of ego bashing, right? <laughs> it uh, kind of pays off in a positive way to, you know, enter into some station of humility. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, definitely there's, uh, there's pain pairs of shoes. Um, I've come up with my favorite. They're called Kai boots. Uh, they are uh, engineered in uh, Italy, uh, but uh, they were, uh, let's say, born of technology from Switzerland, you know, Kai boots. And they're a little bit rare to come by, but uh, there's a few outlets in Canada and the U.S. where you can pick them up. A little, little more pricey, but worth the effort. So basically, uh, I guess the sole in those shoes will be very small, so it kind of gives you a base, a uh, barefoot uh, experience. That That's the whole idea behind it? Uh, I just, I, I wouldn't know if I could really say that. I mean, it doesn't have all this, uh, like, what, what's kind of common is, uh, you know, support systems for the angles and so on like that. I don't know what the, the people at the that manufacturers have done, but they've come up with something which is pretty miraculous and I have a good friend from BC, and she uh, she was not able to walk for a bit, and she got into these sh the shoes, and uh, now she's able to just uh, move along again. So there's something kind of miraculous about these uh, particular shoes, what's underneath. Um, going barefoot, I thought about it, but, uh, you know, there's too much broken glass along the roads, you know, and you have to think about that. Mm -hmm. It's a series. Uh, as a vairagi or as a monk, you... You might entertain doing that type of thing, but uh, in my case, uh, I thought, no, it's uh, you know, no, that's not for me. <laughs> I gotta have my shoes. I gotta protect myself. You know? mm -hmm. Can you imagine the calluses, the cuts, and uh, and uh, the kind of the wreck you'll be at the end of something like that on our? You know, gravel doesn't quite do it, and I mean, there's soft sands in certain places, but it's. Uh, it's, uh, you know, not so favorable, you know. And, and you know, you start early in the day. Uh, I have a habit to start before the sun rises. And uh, that way I can get a whole bunch of kilometers in uh, prior to the, when you, the idea is to beat the heat. Because uh, I think of one of the greatest challenges is not, not always the cold, it's actually the heat. Uh, the sun beating down on you. And, uh, you know, where you just, uh, you're, you're exhausted, you're trained. So you have to choose your time. So if I can start, uh, if I know it's going to be a hot day coming up and the broadcast says it's going to be over 30, then I'll start walking at 3 o'clock in the morning. And so by 9 o'clock, I've got pretty much my quota in and I might do a little bit more in the evening, you know, two hours or so, just as the sun's going down. So those are things you learn along the way. Um, but the first two or three hours, it's in the dark, and it's a very meditative time. You have to make sure you chant your mantras a little bit loud in case there is a bear nearby or a cougar 
or anything. They, you just give them a little warning and you walk at a walker's pace because that's what they understand. And um, if you're running, watch out. If you're cycling, watch out in sort of like wilderness areas or in the dark, you could be in trouble. So it's good to make a little bit of noise uh, because I have been confronted with a grizzly once and a black bear and, you know, who knows? I think cougars are probably the worst. Or somebody will say, no, no, it's mosquitoes. <laughs> okay, we need to know. So how was the experience with the grizzly bear? Well, here's what happened. I'll just give you it in detail. I was in, on the Crow's Nest Pass. That's in near Castlegar in British Columbia, near Nancy Green uh, Provincial Park or National Park. So there's no, absolutely no people there. There's no buildings whatsoever. And a thought came to my mind. I said, you know, uh, I offered a prayer. I said, dear creator, I mean, uh, this is my third walk across Canada. I haven't seen one bear. That's ridiculous, you know. So I offered that prayer. And then my support guy who joins me from time to time was with me. And he was talking along the way on this quiet stretch of the road early in the morning, hardly anybody driving, not to speak of walking. And then around the corner from a mountainside came this massive creature who looked like an ape with a hump on. And we saw he was definitely coming our way, didn't really spot us, but smelled us first. And he was walking right in the middle of the highway as if it was his king. He was the king of the road. And we thought we were, <laughs> but he was. And so he smelled us. And fortunately, a motorist came along, tooted his horn, and he took off. 20 minutes later, we heard a snort. And so we turned around, and there was this big, you know, hairy, but beautiful guy, I would say. And uh, he had changed directions, and he was interested in us. So my friend Garuda and I, we knew enough about wilderness. Do not run. Try to stay very detached. Try not to agitate. But we had nowhere to go. So uh, we felt that the road was our friend, our amigo, and something would happen magical. So this uh, this massive grizzly, he was just uh, uh, he was he got as close to us as uh, yeah 12, 12 feet you know uh, two two meters. I'm not joking. And um, we were you know doing our protective mantras and even communicating with him a little bit and said oh you're big and strong and trying not to look be fearful and so fortunately a trucker came he was coming from the bottom of, of the valley making his way up making incredible noise a uh, big reverberation in the mountain valley sounding almost like the growl of a lion and then he was shifting gears and that in, created another acoustical dynamic and so that truck, which was like a small tinky toy way in the distance, was getting closer and closer. Finally, the bear just sensed what was going on. He felt it through his paws underneath. And he looked back and he took off and that was it. So saved by what, whatever. <laughs> and uh, so the moral, moral of the story is you got to watch what you pay for or pray for. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so it's very interesting. So I guess uh, I I was going to ask you, 
the question as to how do you pass your time when you're walking for 42 kilometers and the answer is you're, you're chanting mantras. In my case, obviously, um, true to my job, I listen to a podcast when I walk. So right. I, I'm always listening to a podcast when I'm doing my walks, either in my you know, garden or in, in the backyard or in uh, when I'm in Mumbai in my building, I just take, take round circles when I'm walking, just, you know, listening to something all the time. But it's very interesting. So so uh, d- does chanting mantras continuously while you're taking these walks, do, do these also, can these also be classified as meditative experiences then, Swamiji? Oh, most definitely. Because like I was saying, if I start early in the morning and there's only darkness and you know, the odd motors coming along with the headlights showing some light. Well, you got the stars above you. And if there's a, you know, something like a full moon coming on, you've got something to work with. And um, you just stay on your straight and narrow path. And and that's um, that, that's it. That's uh, enough protection. But the mantras are helpful because that there are no distractions at that time. And uh, that really just to set the, uh, the right tone for the day always doing it on a spiritual note I've found it's uh, it's most beneficial it, it brings about a kind of optimism and you know I, I believe Kushal there's two ways to be in life and one is to be upbeat or to be beat up there's only two ways and mantras really help in that upbeatedness you know and it connects you with with the world I mean nature is all around you and it's really important like I wouldn't have headphones on. Um, I would just be uh, go the total organic way. And uh, it's also quite dangerous you know, to have your headphones. I'll tell you one story. I met one man in Florida who was uh, doing a massage on my legs. And he met this one fellow who um, was walking in the Midwest in the U.S. And he fell, he had his headphones on and he fell in through a crevice. And uh, so he met this particular person. They made a movie about him. 72 Hours, I think it was called. So he had his, he slipped down and his arm got stuck into the, the mountain rock and uh, a, a, a rock. So he, he couldn't get his arm out, what, whatever he tried to do. So he had to cut his arm off, you know. And <laughs> my massage therapist, he said, well, the, the, the guy's an idiot. And I said, why is he an idiot? It's because he had his headphones on. He wasn't watching. He was doing. He was too caught up in his music. You know? So when you're on the road, it's really important to be very connected. You hear the sounds oncoming and, and you're behind you in the background so that uh, you're ready for if an animal's wanting to pounce on you, you might be able to turn around and be a little more uh, prepared or, you know, some crazy motorist uh, coming at you. and You got a chance to, you know, to, to dodge so it's a it's really important to stay connected with the environment and the elements around you. And therefore, I would say no to headphones. I tried it once, and my support guy came up to me, just shocked me to no end. So was this when I when I caught him at the side of my eyes, but because I was absorbed in my music. So, anyways, you learn these things. Yeah. So so how much of uh... The how much of the quality of the surface that you walk on matters? Like, let's say, when you're walking on, say, grass or a walking track, vis-a-vis uh, 
a tarmac road or a concrete road or whatever uh, we want to call it how much of a difference does that have because at the end of the day the surface is directly proportional to the impact on the knees and yes you might have nice shoes and then again the design of the shoes also has to be depending on the surface you're walking so is there a yeah. conscious effort from your end look i'm i'm going to avoid tarmac uh, as much as possible i'm going to go for softer surfaces too yeah i think that's a natural question um you know I'm, for runners it's always a little bit more at risk especially if you're in an urban area and you're constantly hitting pavement so uh walk, walking is a lot safer and uh yeah i would love to walk on you know soft trails um one nice thing about walking through a forest uh whether it's uh, deciduous or coniferous trees that means hardwoods as opposed to softwood trees um, yeah, there's a little bit of a bounce on the forest trail, and and that's always more most favorable. You know, even uh, you know barefoot could work <laughs> in such a situation. Um, grass, well, it's wet. Um, a prairie grass would be up this high. <laughs> Forget it, especially early in the early morning hours. Um, yeah, asphalt is not as favorable, but I think really. The biggest challenge was that angular dynamic I was talking about, where it really forces one leg to be longer than the other, and you really feel it in sciatica, you know, dyna dynamical way. Yes, sand is great. I walked Israel along the uh, coast of the Mediterranean Sea, and of course there was that slant again, but it was some, sometimes you have to go on that hard sand you know right next to the water otherwise you kind of almost sink and really have to exert a lot of energy so surface you know i didn't think about it too much i'm going to be along the road and and that's uh that's it i think for runners it's just a bit, bit more of a challenge so i would uh just walking is much more favorable interesting all right swamiji now the biggest dis discussion these days is that, um, uh, full disclosure, uh, I'm not a vegetarian in the sense that uh, how you would be, but my meat consumption is bare minimal. I don't consume uh, red meat. Um, once in a while, I would consume white meat. So, so before I ask you this question, it's only fair that I that I uh, lay lay it out very openly with you. Um, my my most of my family members are vegetarian uh, my mother's a vegetarian my wife's a vegetarian my father is pretty much he would consume meat once in a year or something so he's and indians on in general what i have noticed is the notion of consuming meat in the west is very different from the notion of consuming meat in india even non vegetarians in india their meat is a very small part of their diet even when they're non vegetarian it's like there will be five things that you're consuming and out of which maybe once or twice a week one thing will be non-vegetarian but they're by and large vegetarians with a little bit of non-vegetarian but the diet does play uh, a very important role in um, in 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 physical fitness and and something basically you're taking a marathon every day when you decide to walk now the diet has to be a very important factor in that so how do you, because, I mean, I'm assuming you're, uh, I mean, you're part of the 
Hare Krishna movement. So you're you're basically following a Hare Krishna diet, and uh, that's a Satvic diet, which is you don't even have onions and garlic. If I, I'm that's assuming right. the food does not have onions and garlic, which is a Vaishnava, basically a Vaishnavite diet. Now, if you're having a Vaishnavite diet, how do you manage the the physical aspect as in the dietary aspect of it? Well, it's really easy. It's uh, not very complicated at all. A um, plant-based diet is very favorable for this kind of thing, for walking. And uh, everything from the taste to the salts, the natural salts that are contained in the, in the veggies and the fruits and grains and so on like that, right, right up to the colors, you know. Like um, I would, um, my first meal of the day would be around 10 o'clock in the morning. And it would be wraps. So we'll, we'll purchase tortillas or make chapatis on the road. We usually work with a Coleman stove, and uh, we put in just wonderful things. They're all super colorful, and uh, like cherry tomatoes and green peppers and and black olives and what more? What more can you want? Like and some hummus. Oh, it's just so tasty. And uh, when I on my first walk, my support guy he was on a saltless diet. He felt that's the best way to go. And he was on this kind of health kick. And I said, listen, Dave, uh, that was his name. And I said, I I'm releasing salts every day. You know, it shows through my my clothes. You know, you see crusted white, you know. So uh, I need an intake of, of salts. So give it to me. And if you can't do it, then I'll do the cooking and you do some reading. <laughs> so I'll do some walking. And I'll do also some cooking on the side. So that's the way it ended up being. And, uh, you know, when we look at strength and robustness, like some of the most powerful mammals on earth are on that plant-based diet, like I think rhinos and, and the hippos and, and, and like our bison, Canadian bison and moose. They're like the most powerful guys on the planet. I wouldn't want to wrestle with any one of them. And, uh, you know, so it proves that uh, you can get everything. You can become a powerhouse physically just on that, that particular diet. And uh, so, I, and I've been, I wouldn't dare change it just because I'm going on a marathon. I've been on a vegetarian diet for almost 50 years now, half a century. And I will never go back to, uh, to eating the poor animals, the, like the ones I was talking about earlier, the little pets that were born on the on the far on the barnyard, you know, <laughs> where I grew up. Yeah, so it's all very favorable. You get your nutrients that way. And one interesting thing about the walks is that Dave and I, we were exploring. Um, I wouldn't say experimenting, but when we were in the know of what you could take intake from the the plants that were growing wild next to you in the ditch um like cattails became very popular for us wild sweet peas nettle and of course in may you get the fiddleheads so um we were just uh, all the things that we knew were nutritious we experimented and we turned into a, like a subji like a curried vegetable you know just add a little haldi in there and, and a little bit of hing to give it a little extra flavor. And we were just enjoying eating. When It's just like if you go camping. When you go camping, your meal is going to be somewhat simplified. But it's the best meal of the whole year when you're out camping. 
And so for me, it was like that every day. So it would be tortillas, uh, but wraps in the morning and in the afternoon, late afternoon, we go for something like kitchri, which is rice, dal, and mixed vegetables and uh, ginger and uh, all the nice Indian spices. And we were, I was, I was eating the best ever, best ever. But uh, have there been moments of, let's say, while you're doing the walk, uh, you lose your energy? And so what exactly do you do? Uh, you see yeah. what I'm trying to say? That there are moments where you either feel, you know, I don't know how to say, you start feeling like weakness and uh, so uh, dehydration and stuff like that. How, how do you... Uh, how do you manage it then? Uh, uh, are there any moments where doctors have told you, listen, this is not a workable diet or stuff like that? I mean, I'm sure you must have had those moments in your life. Well, sure. I mean, as far as the diet goes, no one's ever complained about it. They, you know, I, I, when I was uh, just finishing my first walk, I, uh, a member of the CBC came with her uh, tape recorder. If you remember those ancient things, <laughs> She was interviewing me and I told her, I'm doing this whole thing I'm doing on a vegetarian diet, so I don't have any problems there. Doctors, well, um, close to the end, I met a few doctors. We had a little sangha together, some chanting mantras, and these are doctors from Origins, India. They said, you might have some withdrawal symptoms once you actually finish, when you, you go back, uh, because you're on this hype uh, day after day after day. And uh, it just uh, might now when you suddenly stop, you got to have some negative effect on you. So that that really didn't happen. Um, I'm always pumped up by my bhakti, by devotion, and so that's not an issue. Um, you know what else can I say on the matter? Um, yeah, there was no no issue there. But uh, if you get fatigued, you you go and look for a place to nap. And uh, I think those were the most liberating moments for me when I said, I'm really tired right now. I need about 10 minutes, like a nap, or our guru used to say a snap, like make it fast. <laughs> so uh, I just find a good tree or a rock to hide behind and stay close to the trail. I knew I was a little bit at risk. Who knows what kind of wild animal will come at you. and uh, Or just lie down in a dry sort of, dry soya bean field just so long as nobody can see you and and just be there and just you know the only thing that can bother you is a couple some bugs crawling on you and the, the little miracles happen along the way like I'll, I'll make a decision i'll look at my watch okay i can only afford about 10 minutes because my support guy will miss me he won't know where i am he'll panic he'll be a, you know <laughs> going a craze so then um I'd say I, I can only sleep for about 10 minutes. So magically I'll, I'll lay down. And usually it's just like you're out like a light. And then uh, like 10 minutes later, exactly, because you're looking at your watch, you know, something like a dragonfly will land on the tip of your nose and make sure time to get up. So those are little, little experiences that we have along the way that I can, you know, stack them up and say, that's one of many little miracles that happens along the way. So to deal with fatigue, yeah, rest, you know. And uh, one thing I came up against after doing the U.S. and 
coming to San Francisco. You're walking at a high elevation point for, for days and days and days, and you're going through desert. You don't even see any water, frankly. You know? And um, so finally, when I did get to uh, San Francisco, your elevation point, suddenly you're descending and you're getting into sort of um, sea level. Um, and uh, also it's high, suddenly damp and not dry anymore. So I was having some uh, vertigo issues uh, because of that, you know. And uh, I mean, it, it didn't tax me for too long, but I did certainly have to lie down and address it right away because I was not able to stand up, you know, just uh, because of the different uh, dynamics. Uh, and um, so, yeah, that was something that you don't anticipate, but uh, it, uh, it is there. So fatigue, sleep. Uh, of course, I do have insomnia issues, so that doesn't always work. <laughs> And so you think that walking will get you, tire you out, but still you just have to keep going up. My biggest day was 99 kilometers, and that's a super marathon. And that's in the province of Quebec. And uh, I don't know French very well, so I thought maybe I'll walk through the province quickly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, so... But Swamiji, I, I, and I don't want to sound facetious because I genuinely mean it. How do you not get bored? Boredom does sometimes take place. Like, for instance, I've lived a monastic life for so many years, and you're used to getting up in the morning, chanting mantras, playing drums, and feeling very high in a way, you know, spiritually high. And so that could happen. You miss those days. Uh, and... Um, you know, when you're walking, say, eight, nine hours a day, uh, there is a natural tendency to hit the three phases of time. Like, say, for instance, the past, the future, the present. And it might be that many of us do that. And not very consciously, uh, we spend some time in the past, you know, whether it was good or bad. And, you know, the saying goes that you don't live in the past too much. It's not good because it can take you into a negative zone. And so that would naturally be there. And I would be thinking very, um, let's say, in an introspective way, oh, I did that when I was a teenager. I said that to that person. Oh, how could I? What was I thinking? How could I have done that? Or even as a monk, you know, you make mistakes and your interaction with people. So I, I did that. And you have a chance to reflect on these, uh, let's say, um, the flashbacks that are not so positive, you know. So then, um, so there you are hitting the past. The future is much about, well, what are my future projects looking like? You know, you have a lot of time to dream on the road. Because life is really simple, and it's not full of complexities. You're just walking. One foot is going forward, and then the one, the 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 foot that's free is swinging over and stepping in such a way. It's uh, the mechanics are really really elementary, and so you're thinking about the future and the things that you would like to get done. And uh, it's it's a, it's a dreamy state, but I would say. Don't dream too much. Don't be too futuristic. But do step, do give considerable time to the here and the now. 
and uh, be very much in the present. So that uh, journalist that came to see me in Halifax when I was finished, almost finished my first walk, she said, now that you're almost finished your walk, what is the most incredible, compelling thing that happened during this whole walk? And when she asked me that, I kind of went blank. I froze. And I didn't know what to think. What Was it the bear attack, the, the, the wasps that hit me or the hornets and my backside when I was dealing with the call of nature in the bush and things like that? What was it that was so compelling? And what I had to say to her, I was really stuck. And I said, well, you know, the most important thing that happened on this walk is that you're standing there in front of me. You're asking me this question and I'm trying to figure out what the answer could be. And so she jumped on it right away. She said, oh, I understand what you're talking about. So living for the moment, being very much in the present. I said, yes, that's what it is. So it's a matter of being very cognizant of what's around you. That's most important. And like, you know, smelling the fragrances of that's around you, or in some cases, it's the fumes from the, from the automobiles, being very much there at the moment and uh, taking it all in, absorbing it, or in the case of the fumes, trying not to absorb it, but be aware that it's there. And uh, so uh, in terms of overcoming boredom, um, I would uh, reflect much on the present and also on the great stories that come out from the the epics like the Ramayana and the Mahabharata, which I've studied now for years, and the Bhagavad Gita. It's the ancient texts that you reflect on, on those fantastic personalities that gave so much color and heroism to, to their lives and the lives of others. So that's how I would deal with it. You know? <laughs> I have a couple of more questions, Swamiji, before I start taking a couple of viewer questions too. Okay. Now, in this journey of yours, as an individual, doing constant walks, sometimes alone, sometimes uh, with others, what is the one lesson that you have learned that you carry with yourself the most? Okay, the one lesson from walking is that um, maybe I can offer two, two answers to that. And I'll be sure. Brief. Yeah, so our... Humans are meant for walking. <laughs> There's this one corporate guy. This was in Ohio when I was walking there. And he pulls over and he, had, he was in like one of those muscle trucks, but he had a real nice you know, suit on and everything like that. So he says, oh, so I see your monk. Um, I don't have too much time, but can you give me some words of wisdom? And I said, okay, this is what I, comes to my mind. Human beings our bodies are designed to walk. And so that's what we should be doing. It puts us in the best state of mind. Number two, the human form of life is meant for introspection, you know, cultivating your, your inner side, your spiritual side. And uh, so we need to, just to get the most out of life is to, uh, to give some consideration to the to, to the side of life that we don't talk about too much, uh, you know, the the the, the mental uh, side, and uh, of course beyond the intellectual side, and even more so the the anti-material side or the spiritual side. So I mean, he he was really satisfied. I kept it short and brief, and I could tell from his energy, I gotta go. I don't have too much time. So 
give it to me. Okay. So I gave it to him. And then he gave me a $20 bill donation. I didn't ask for it, but he's kind to, you know, that I was able to offer him something. And then he buzzed off on his way. So it's like that. We are humans, so we're different from other creatures. Uh, our instinctive powers are not as good as animals. Our ability to discern between right and wrong is also not strong. Our sensual powers are not what animals or beasts of burden or whether it's birds, the you know, the those who are in wings, they they are so much sharper than we are. So what do we as humans have that other creatures don't have? And that is uh, discernment and uh, discretion and uh, really using your your uh, fertile brain for you know getting on making the next move in life. And uh, so that, that uh, you know, walking is natural and also contemplation is, is uh, a very, you know, a deep contemplation seems to be natural for human beings. Just like to go a little bit more on the mundane side, you know, if you, how many times do people think about their partner in life, their relationship? And that's one thing I learned too about being on the road. Uh, people will pull over and they'll ask me all kinds of questions. How many pairs of shoes have you gone through? When did you start? What are you doing this for? And I tell them, I'm doing this uh, for the uh, uh, spiritual wellness of the world, of, of this country, for instance, if it's focused on the country. And, um, and then if they finish asking questions, then I'll ask them questions, well, how are you doing with your life? And how is everything going in your relationship? Then you're hitting on a real sensitive nerve. And uh, they they really want to open up because some other people trust monks and they'll just, your, your psychiatrist suddenly, or you're a shrink or whatever you want to call the term. And, uh, uh, you know, they'll, they'll open up about what's happening. And it's uh, kind of a heart to sort of, can be heart wrenching moment, uh, real time of, uh, you know, introspection for, for them. And that's um, what it means to, connect with uh, humans uh, a lot of people are having trouble there's a lot of lonely people out there and i feel sort of grateful and fulfilled that i might be able to offer a little bit of uh attention uh by them asking the question me listening and being a, a good soundboard and uh and they maybe offer a little of advice if they if they ask so ask for it you know, like i was in winnipeg and this one fellow, he was in a red sports car. He noticed that I was the same guy in the newspaper on the front page of the Winnipeg Free Press. I said, oh, I heard about you. I think it's great what you're doing. You know, but I, can we talk a little bit? Because I was going steady with a girl for five years. and But she just took off with my best friend. And I'm just pretty depressed. Uh, can you, you have some words uh, to, you know, roll out for me to that I can, I can just continue on with? So uh, those are the great opportunities, you know, for uh, being an, a monk walking on the long road. So it, don't you find it ironical that here you are doing these long walks, mostly alone, most of the times, and you are surrounded by people who come and talk to you, mm -hmm. who are usually surrounded by people, and they are the lonely ones. <laughs> yes. I think that um, 
if I if I could just say that many people are feeling lonely because they don't feel a strong spiritual connection. And for me, it's like what we call Paramatma, God in the heart. And so even if you seem to be alone, you're never alone because that sort of big brother is there with you, uh, always giving some kind of attention and guidance. And I think that's what kind of missing in people's lives there. There's not much avenue for uh, spirituality. And that's a big component of our very being. And so I would just, uh, I would be out front and say, yeah, get connected with your God, whatever is your denomination or whatever you would like to perceive in terms of spirituality, as, uh, embrace it and do something more about it. And then you'll feel a stronger companionship because there's a there's this divine uh, presence that we should acknowledge and that makes a big difference, you know. I mean, I personally couldn't imagine just walking alone, just saying, here I'm in this body and I'm gonna, I was born and I will die. And it's so shallow to think, oh, let me just squeeze in a little bit of pleasure that I can out of life. But to believe in an afterlife that, you know, I'm just here for, for, for a time and I will move on and continue on from where I left off. I'll just give you an example. There was, uh, it was Mother's Day. This was my second walk across Canada. And I was in Cape Breton. And that's on the eastern side of the country. And a couple pulled over and said, we heard what you're doing. We think it's just great. And the woman, she said, well, you know, my it's Mother's Day. And my mother just passed away not long ago. And I believe she's coming back into the world again to deal with some unfinished business. To, to deal with things that uh, she could not complete. So that's what I believe. What are your thoughts on that? She asked me and said, absolutely. Um, whether you, it can be, um, let's say, justified, uh, whether you have a backup on this, a support that uh, transmigration of the soul is real or not, just to believe in it. There's a lot of mysteries in life that we cannot explain, even scientifically, but if you just accept them, embrace them as part of your life, uh, you'll say, hey, it works. It does work. <laughs> so I, 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 that's very redeeming. And again, just, um, you know, because you could either be beat up or upbeat. The upbeatness comes from when you penetrate a little deeper into life and understand that I'm not just blood and bones and stool and urine and marrow and all this, you know, and, and skin. Um, I, I'm, I'm a, a person uh, and embodied in, in this world. And uh, I have a mission. And my mission is to work on the little demons inside of me, uh, the demons of lust and anger and greed, and try to cultivate those qualities of toning them down, you know. And, and that's my human mission. I, and uh, the, I had a I met a couple of a couple from Florida. They were yoga teachers, and said, "So, Swami, what do you what do you get out of all of this? What what's your take on on what we're why we're here?" And um, my answer was, "Well, we've got a lot of clutter inside of us. That's usually on the mental level. We've got a lot of issues, there are anger issues, and you know this and that. And it is a clutter. So uh, let's try to clear that clutter." Let's uh, get divine. Let's become more of an angel instead of a devil. And just you have to just work at that. It's a, an incredible work in progress. And uh, 
there's lots of opportunities in which to, you know, clear the cobwebs of the mind, so to speak, and uh, and move along in a more freeing capacity, and what we call moksha, you know, uh, feel liberated, uh, that I'm not this body, that I'm the spirit within the body. Those are the basic tenets of Vedic culture, the Vedic literatures that we study, right? Ahang Brahmasmi, I am spirit. Right? So one more question and then I'll take the viewer's question. So if somebody wanted to maybe join you or assist you, can they do that? And if yes, how can they do that? Well, sure, they can just give me a call or they can walk to where I am. <laughs> uh, yes, I, 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 I give you that information. Um, uh, I can be contacted by email. My name is Bhakti Margaswami at gmail.com. The spelling that's before me is not actually the correct spelling. There's an A in there. That's one word, Bhakti Margaswami at gmail.com. And I can be reached by telephone. And uh, yeah, I'm happy to walk with people, but I will tell you, Kushal, the honest truth. There's a lot of people say, oh, it's so dreamy what you're doing. This is amazing. You know, I always want to do something like this, something heroic, and be like a man of steel. And so I want to join you the next time around, okay? Next time you do the country. And so I said, okay, I'm ready. I said, oh, well, I've got this going on in, that, okay, in my life. <laughs> so, <laughs> But why don't you just come with me for uh, a couple of kilometers, you know, we'll just walk, uh, you know, a few blocks in the street, you know walk to Tim Hortons or whatever and back. <laughs> yeah. Well, 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 I could do a 20-kilometer walk to, with you for sure. Okay. Well, I don't know do about that. the 42-kilometer, 40, but I, I, yeah, that would be something, a Charvak and a, and a Hare Krishna uh, walking together. <laughs> I guess the world, world would get a message, right? Charvak yeah, and yeah. Hare Krishna walking together. That would be awesome. Yeah, why not? Why, why not? You know, believers and non-believers or half-believers and it doesn't really matter, you know. We are all uh, living entities, uh, trying to make something of this world and trying to continue on. And uh, again, walking is natural, and and uh, and becoming humble to the world is also quite natural. It's, you know, there's me, and there's the universe. I'm insignificant. That doesn't mean I'm not worth anything. I'm worth a lot. I'm a little screw in the universe. So uh, if I just kind of screw in to to what I'm supposed to do, like my realm of dharma, accept my dharma, and do my duties and do what I ought to do, then uh, then I'm working towards uh, you know a better existence, towards ultimate wellness. And if we all think like that, that'd be great. And I, I would like to say, if everybody could just walk one hour every day in the morning before they get on with life, wow, the medical bills will go way down. I'll have less karma, less pounds to, you know, to contend with. It would be such so much a better world, you know. Perfect. You know what? Next time when I come to Canada, I'm going to take you up on this offer. I'm going to walk with you at least one day. And we're going to have conversations when we walk. I'm going to record those conversations and I'm going to put it up on my channel. And we they, those will be serious conversation about life and, uh, and, yeah. and, and, and the reason for our existence. So I'm going to take you up on that offer. Next time when I'm in Canada, I'm going to walk with you at least once. And I okay. promise you that when I go happen. to India, when I go to India. <laughs> oh, oh, that's even better. So, so now I'm going to ask you questions from the live viewers. So, one person has asked, "Does Swamiji intend to visit TOVP Mayapur anytime soon?" 
Oh, do I intend to visit? Yeah. Uh, yeah, most likely in uh, the spring of next year, 2023. The TOVP is uh, an extraordinary building that's going up in West Bengal. Uh, it's about a three, four hour drive from Kolkata. And uh, it's the birthplace of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, one of the great monks of the medieval times in India. And uh, he was a great walker. Uh, of course, he didn't have any choice in those days. <laughs> there were no automobiles, so uh, it was better. Either you go by donkey or you walk, and that's it, or bullock cart or something like that. Yeah, so that's my plan, too, is that the the extraordinary temple that's coming up next year. Awesome. The same person, <laughs> this is a tongue-in-cheek question. So you're obviously on the Charvak podcast. The same person has asked, what is Swamiji's views on, the, what are Swamiji's views on the Charvak darshan? <laughs> uh, well, it depends on what you mean by that. I'm, I'm just open to talking to anybody who has questions about uh, proactiveness in, in, in the human form of life, you know, so... Yeah, it depends on what you mean by Charvak in that regards. I know Charvakamuni was uh, somebody had uh, tendencies to uh, be a little bit on the materialistic side, if I can use that term. <laughs> so I would just like to say that, uh, yep, we have this material body. We have to take care of it, keep it clean and fuel it and give it rest and so on like that. Uh, there's nothing wrong with that. And um, I would just say uh, a person who's... Um, a little bit more of a, on, like Charvakamuni said, eat, drink, and be merry for it. Tomorrow you will die, that kind of thing. He, he'd say things like, uh, you know, enjoy ghee, get ghee, somehow, beg, borrow, or steal it. Get ghee and enjoy life. Yeah, enjoy life, but physically enjoy it, but also spiritually enjoy it. You know, I think we have to go for wholeness here. It's a holistic approach to life, uh, being a Swami. And why just accept one uh, aspect of it and and trash or the, the the other part of it there's there's two components here the material side and the anti-material side the spiritual side so let's go for depth not shallowness i i won't i won't disagree there uh i i believe in exploring all the sides although i am a charvak myself but yeah we should explore everything now this is a very important question and i can tell you again this is asked from a young kid a young Hindu kid in Canada, this kid is asking, what does Swamiji think about the consciousness when it comes to understanding uh, the message of Hinduism? It doesn't matter which sampradaya. It could be any sampradaya. In, in youngsters in Canada, do you think they even understand these things? And if not, what can what is Swamiji's advice for young Hindu kids, especially Hindu kids, you know, because at the end of the day, a major base that listens to this podcast is also Hindu kids, you know, and, okay. and interestingly, this is the Charvak podcast, but a majority of my listener base is Astikas, not Nastikas. They, they're basically Astikas. They come and listen to me. But what, what would you say to those young kids? Okay. Um, I would say, you know, it's a very good, beautiful culture. I mean, I adapt. I came from Christian christian background and then i i went the krishna way but like i told my parents uh listen i'm still a christian because the teachings are parallel what christ said and what krishna said it's parallel uh, in fact i would just say, go so far as to say krishna has so much more to offer um but they they don't collide with each other you know i i would say it's really important to explore your your culture and um 
you know, uh, I would say maybe so bold just to say that uh, sometimes Hindu ways can be highly ritualistic and sometimes lacking in the philosophical side of things. I would say go more towards the philosophical, towards, you know, rational thinking. And uh, not that Hindu practices are not. There's a great philosophy, reasoning behind everything. And um, may I share this with you too? I was walking in Saskatchewan and um, a businessman pulled over. He said, listen, I uh, uh, can I give you a ride? And I said, well, I'm actually walking. I can't take any rides. They said, well, he said, well, uh, you know, I've been dabbling with Buddhism, but I, I sometimes veer back to my Christianity. And I'm not sure if I can embrace that wholeheartedly because Christianity is full of fantastic stories from the Bible. And I told him, I said, well, if you think that they're far-fetched stories, you should read the Vedic stories. They're really all about massive demons and mystics and people doing incredible things. And, you know, but, you know, you may accept these stories as mythical, but there's always truth within a myth. You have to get to the essence of the mythical tales and embrace that truth. And that, that essence is something called bhakti. I said, oh, what he says, what is that? Bhakti means to establish love, ultimately. And I think that's really what's at the heart of the culture of India, that indigenous people are Hindus. They're the first nations of people of India. And uh, they have um, a great treasure in their teachings, uh, whether it's more on the philosophical, yani side, or whether it's more about the stories. There's something very rich there that should be explored. So I think sometimes it's good, and I'll, I'll be quick on this, to, to, uh, to hear uh, about the philosophy in these stories with someone who can almost like hold your hand, someone who's living it, you know, and uh, then it becomes more real. And uh, so meet your local swamp meet, perhaps, and, <laughs> and then you can dig in deep, you know, yeah, I hope you can dig that. <laughs> yeah. So before we wrap up, Swamiji, any last message, message or words for the listeners, viewers of this podcast? Well, thank you, Kushal. I would just like to say that because we are of the human species, uh, we can either go, go uh, we're, we're like elastics, you know. You can go either really off course or you can stay right on track. And being right on track means get into service get into what we call seva, uh, you, you feel best. The best, you know, feelings come from um, helping others, serving others, and the divine with a capital D. So I would just say that uh, get into service instead of self-service. And I, I, you know, we're very much in a self-serving culture, and I think steer a little bit away from that. You'll feel much more fulfilled when you're doing something for others. Perfect. Uh, Swamiji, it was an absolute pleasure to talk to you. And I mean this very seriously. Next time when I come to Canada, I'm going to walk one day with you. We're going to have a lot of conversations. Maybe at that time, we can have those deep philosophical discussions too. And maybe we can uh, record some of them and air it on the podcast sometime. And uh, from the bottom of my heart, thank you very much for coming. Thank you for having this conversation with me. And uh, thank you for whatever you do for humanity. Thank you, Kushal. Really appreciate it and to give us the time.
Thank you. Thanks a lot. All right, guys, we'll wrap this discussion up. Once again, in the description of the podcast, you will see the link to Bhakti Magraswamiji's uh, Facebook page, Twitter handle, and the website. If you want to find out more, you can go to uh, any of the links there and you can check them out. As far as I'm concerned, you know the drill. Once again, the reason I tried to do this conversation today is that, look, uh, people who would follow this podcast regularly, they know I have a very soft corner for ISKCON. Uh, the reason is one of the two temples that I find the most shanti in my life. Yes, a charvak still goes to a temple. I, I do go once in a while. Uh, yeah, and I'll be very open. I don't see, like I've always said many times, when I bow down to Sri Krishna's idol, I don't see divinity in it. I see culture in it. It's my culture. And I just bow down to the divine. So there is a temple in Mumbai. It's called the Sri Radha Gopinath Mandir. It's in South Bombay, the Sri Raza Gopinath Mandir. And I have gone there many times in my life just to see, just to see the 8 o'clock Aarti. I just sit there in the corner. It's very interesting. The Swamis inside also know this is Charvak. He comes here, sits in the corner quietly, doesn't do anything, does not go around poking his nose and says, oh, that is false. Oh, this is false. I don't do anything. So I, when I found out about Swamiji and the walks he does, it was inspirational because maybe I walk daily and I love walking. So it kind of attracted me more. But I request all of you to go and check his website out, learn life lessons from him. And, you know, always have this humility that maybe we do not have all the answers in life and we can learn from other people. The sole aim of my podcast is that I want to take you away from clickbaity tribalism that is engulfing social media. And I know I don't make money doing these things, <laughs> to be very honest. But I still go on doing these kinds of discussions on my podcast is because this is the mission of this podcast. The mission of this podcast is to look at the larger picture and look at the main purpose of life. So I hope you guys support me in this endeavor. And I want to thank each and every one of you who have done that for the last five years. And I want to thank each and every one of you who is going to do it in the next few years also. So on that note, I'll end it. You know the drill. Subscribe to the channel. Like the video. Leave your comments. I'll see you guys next time. Until then, namaste. Take care. Bye-bye.